Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. My name is Maddie. I'm your host. Hope you're having a wonderful day. And I hope it's about to get even better because I am giddy for this episode. I really am. I have wanted to do a Twilight episode since since the beginning of the podcast. I don't know what took me so long. I was just waiting. I was waiting for the stars to align. I was waiting for the, the Twilight gods to smile upon me. And they did. And I had so much fun preparing this episode. Maybe a little too much fun. I don't know. I watched the movie like three or four times. I read the book again. I just, it was so fun to get back into this world that I have not really revisited since I was like 14. Um, so we're going to get into all of that. I have a couple things that I want to tell you guys before we start. And the first is that I want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out and been worried about me and concerned if I'm okay and just telling me to, you know, take time that I need and just been so wonderful. I feel like I have all these all these besties just worried about me. And I want to let you all know that I'm okay. I'm doing really good. Matt is good. Everybody's okay. No no health scares or anything like that. Just, you know, life life changes, restructuring, re reconfiguring things. And sometimes that comes with some lows. So I've had some lows, but I'm back up. I'm back up. And I don't think I've been, maybe I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I just haven't been so excited about my job in so long. Like I just, I'm just really looking forward to a bunch of things that I've planned, episodes that I want to do, maybe even some, you know, maybe some, some things in person. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see, you know, where the wind blows us, but I just am feeling really excited and really good. So thank you to everybody who reached out. And then the next thing I wanted to tell you guys is that I'm going to start this episode with a good old fashioned love-hate segment. If you're new here, I used to do these love-hate segments. Well, it wasn't that it wasn't that long of a time, but for like, I don't know, a couple months, I did. I opened up the episodes with love-hate. So I did three things that I was, I'm loving and three things that I'm hating. And I got like two people that said they didn't like it. And so I threw in the towel on it. I was like, hey, I'm never doing it ever again. And you know what? In this new restructuring phase, my number one thing that I'm working on this is this is a personal thing. It's in every part of my life, but I am trying to do better at doing things just because I love them and just because they make me happy. And even if it makes other people, even if it's not something that they they want to do or they want to hear, I I want to make decisions based on what feels best to me and not based on the feedback of others. It's very hard. It's very hard, especially when my job is whoa, I just hit my microphone. Especially when my job is kind of focused around um people's feedback. <laughs> and a lot of it's unsolicited and a lot of it's very personal, but I'm trying to 
trying to rewire, rewire that part. So anyway, I'm going to start off with some love hates and I love them and I'm going to do them every now and then just when they just when they come to me. And this last week I was in California and I was by myself. So I just had a lot of time to just people watch and eat alone and observe things. (laughs) So my first, so my loves this week are actually all food related and I didn't mean to do that, but they are. So I'm going to tell you the three loves I had this week that are edible. The first thing I loved this week, you guys, I am loving the bacon and sausage breakfast burrito from Starbucks. I don't really have that that much to say about it, except that I've gotten it like every morning. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The eggs are like not weird fake eggs, you know? You know, when you go to McDonald's, I'm not hating on McDonald's breakfast, by the way. I love McDonald's breakfast, but you know how the eggs are just kind of like a sponge. Um, The eggs in this burrito seem real. They seem very real. So I'm into that. The second food related thing that I'm loving is for lunch, I've been getting a salad with a side of fries. I know this is not like a novel idea. I know a lot of people do this, but the salad and fries combo is elite because first of all, you're getting the nutrients that you need, but you're also treating yourself with a side of fries. Like I, I love it. I feel like it's a good allegory for how I want to live my life. I'm planning on doing an episode on this because I do like healthy things. I like to feel healthy. I kind of approach health the same way I approach spirituality. I'm going to do some things that make me feel good. But then the other things that make me feel good, maybe they're not in line with being quote unquote healthy, but they make my brain feel good. Therefore, they are healthy. That's how I feel about the salad fries combo. Okay. I'm eating that. I'm getting my daily, my daily schedule is like I wake up, I go to Starbucks, I get a breakfast burrito and a coffee, then I go to get salad and fries. My DoorDash, I don't want to talk about my DoorDash lately. Okay. It's because I'm not working from home. I'm I got this external studio and I have to get food. So anyway, I'm going on a tangent. This is not necessary for you guys to know. My second thing was the salad and fries combo for lunch. Okay. The third thing is something that I learned about on TikTok. And here's the thing. When I when I started the bad broadcast, I didn't expect butter to become such a core part of my personality. It, it kind of happened accidentally and then I just decided to embrace it. So I learned this new thing about butter, this new way to consume butter. This girl called it tooth butter. And it sounds gross at first. I was like, what? I thought it was maybe like a like a bone marrow vibe, like tooth butter. I don't know. It just, it started to weird me out. No, tooth butter is when you have a layer of butter thick enough on a piece of bread that you can see your teeth marks in it after you bite it. That is, I've never come across a more perfect description of the amount of butter I require on a piece of bread. Tooth butter. It's so good. I was so happy to learn that. Learn that. Okay. So those are the three things that I'm loving. Let me tell you about the three things that I'm hating. The first thing that I'm hating is that there is a character, not a character, a girl on America's Next Top Model, and her name is Isis King. And I, I feel sad for her, but also her name is Isis King. And I guess I just am putting this out there that I hate that name. And I feel really sad for anybody who's named Isis. Can you imagine? Imagine that you're, you know, none of us knew what Isis was till, I guess, like the early 2000s. I don't know. That was when I, I don't know when it came about. I don't know the history, but yeah, that's a name. And there are people out there living with the name Isis and I hate it for them. And I'm just so sorry. 
Uh, okay, the next thing that I hate, I hated this week. I hate, first of all, I hate like merch for politicians, like any any politician. This is not an attack on one person or another. Every modern day politi- politician has merch and I think it's all stupid. You know what I hate even more than presidential merch? I hate out of date presidential merch. So when people like leave bumper stickers on that are about like 2008 or 2012, 2016, 20, even 2020, like take it off. Like we already know what happened in 2020 or in 2016. You can just take it off now. I hate when people, I hate when people don't do that. I hate when people don't take it off and they don't readjust. I, but I really could just say all presidential merch. If I see it, oh my gosh, it's just, it's wild that we treat politicians that way. Again, this this goes for for every modern day politician, both sides, okay? We treat them like celebrities, like they're literally public servants. And I know, I, I think I've seen people talk about this on TikTok and stuff, but like they do work for us. Like we're technically their employer and we have merch for them. I'm going to go with no. I think that all presidential merch or politician merch is loser behavior. Anyway, the last thing I hate. When I was flying home from California, I was sitting in the middle seat. And I hate when people don't open their window when we're about to land. You can have your your window shut the whole time. I do not care. But when we're about to land, like you're just, you don't want to see like when it's going to happen. Like you just leave it shut and just wait for the the huge bump when you land. That is such a risk. And it's not one I'm willing to take. I will lean over. I I will I will bend in any which way to get a glimpse out of somebody's window. I have to see it happen. And so I get so irrationally angry. I never say anything to anybody. Don't come for me. Okay. I I got in a lot of trouble last time I talked about plain pet peeves. I don't say anything to anybody. I'm not mean. I don't, whatever. I just wish that people would open their window. Just crack it just so I can see the approaching ground and I don't think that we're about to die. Anyway, um, those are the three things I'm hating. The name ISIS, politician merch, and when people don't open their windows. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Newly. Are you in a reinvention era? Be honest. Are you a little bit confused on what your style is? Because same. Summer is here and I want new vibes. I want new clothes, but I don't always want to spend a bunch of money on things I'm not even sure if I'm going to like. That, my friends, is one of the many reasons I love using Newly because I can rent clothes that are maybe a little bit out of my comfort zone and I can see if they're a good fit. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service and for just $88 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. You can access thousands of styles from more than 300 brands, everything from party dresses to premium denim to one-of-a-kind vintage pieces. Newly stock styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus sizes up to 5X plus maternity. There's fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility, so there's no laundry for you to worry about. Like, you thought it couldn't get any better? Well, guess what? You also don't have to do laundry. It's just an added perk of the whole thing. You also have the option to buy what you love at a discount, sometimes up to 70% off. Newly has everything you need to build your summer wardrobe and build your closet up to speed for the new season. 
It's almost fall, so we got to get rolling. We might need a new fall wardrobe while we're at it. You can save so much money. It's fun, it's more sustainable, and it's flexible. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $10 off of your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BAD10. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code BAD10 and sign up to get $10 off of your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code BAD10. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Starface. Starface is by far the cutest part of my skincare routine. You guys have seen them, the little star-shaped pimple patches, and that's Starface's best-selling Hydrostars, a 100% hydrocolloid pimple patch that helps reduce inflammation, absorb fluid, and shrink spots overnight. Might sound crazy, but I do kind of like when I have a little blemish so I can put a cute little sticker over them. They also have their new Hydrostar plus salicylic acid, which helps treat deeper pimples and acne. Not only do they have the pimple patches, they also have an approachable line of skincare essentials so you can really build out a full routine. One of my favorites right now, I'm using the Clear as Day SPF 46, which is Starface's award-winning sunscreen for acne-prone skin. I especially like to use it in the summer because I'm sweating a lot and I'm breaking out a lot. It's lightweight, completely invisible, and filled with moisturizing and smoothing ingredients that won't clog your pores. Everything at Starface is dermatologist-tested, vegan, and cruelty-free. I also love their Super Sulfur Magic Mask. It's the cutest color, and it's also 10% maximum strength sulfur to treat and prevent breakouts. So you can shop the entire Starface collection at starface.world. And for a limited time, Starface is offering all Bad Broadcast listeners 15% off of a one-time purchase at checkout with code BAD. Again, that's code BAD for 15% off of a one-time purchase at starface.world. You can also find Starface products at Target, Walmart, and CVS stores in the U.S., as well as Boots and Superdrug in the U.K. So now that we've got our love hates out of the way, it's time to begin what I consider this may be Oh, man, it's so hard to decide what my favorite episodes have been. But as far as research and preparing for an episode, this is in my top three. So how the episode is going to go. So I have a backstory on the inception of Twilight. So a little background on Stephanie Meyer, how it came to be, what that looked like, all that stuff. And then I have basically every thought I've ever had about the Twilight movies. I wrote them all down. So again, hopefully you watched this before, so it's fresh in your mind. If you haven't, I highly suggest it. (laughs) I highly suggest watching it. So this kind of makes sense. I know the majority of us have seen it already, but, you know, give yourself a little refresher. It is streaming on Amazon Prime. Do you guys want to hear the really dumb thing I did this last weekend? So the first time I watched it, well, the like during this research phase, I was in California. I was staying at my brother's house and I was like, yeah, I checked on Amazon Prime and it's not there. I had to rent it, whatever. And he pulled it up on Prime and it was available to watch. And it was in that moment that I realized that I don't have Amazon Prime. And for about three years, I've been thinking Amazon Prime is so dumb. They have nothing on there. You have to rent everything. Every time I look up a show, it's not there. Every now and then I would get lucky. Every now and then there would be one available to watch. Uh, Yeah, turns out I just don't have Amazon Prime. 
So last week when I said that the Dumb Dumb Club will never end because people will be dumb forever. Yeah, that's that's accurate. And that includes myself. All right. Let's get into the backstory of how Twilight came to be. And here's the thing. We're going to chat about Stephanie Meyer. By the way, did you guys know that her name is spelled like Stephen with an I-E at the end? S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E. Crazy, right? Because her dad is named Stephen. And I guess they named her after him and then added I-E at the end, which you guys know how I feel about the tradition of dads getting to name their kids after them, but moms not. I am definitely naming my first kid Maddie. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but what I want to say about Stephanie Meyer, this is a no hate, no shade. Well, there's, I have some, I, I beef with her on a couple things, um, but I'm not turning this into like a Stephanie Meyer hate club because she's been very successful. She created one of the most iconic stories of our lifetime. And uh, yeah, so this isn't, this isn't anything about her personally. I'm going to try and focus on like, you know, the, the content of her stuff, but I'm going to give you a little background on Stephanie Meyer. The other thing is that I, I don't want to be a hater because I don't hate Twilight. Well, I do. I do hate Twilight, but I also love Twilight because it formed my adolescent years, but I hate Twilight because it formed my adolescent years. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, enough of that. Let's get into the history of Stephanie Meyer and the inception of Twilight. So Stephanie was born in Connecticut to Stephen and Candy Morgan. They relocated to Scottsdale, Arizona when she was four. And Stephanie was raised and is still currently a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly known as Mormonism, or I'll just say LDS, which is the second largest religious denomination in Arizona behind the Roman Catholic Church. So shout out to my Arizona girlies, my Scottsdale girlies. I looked up Scottsdale. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about it. Lovely place. Did you know that its slogan is the West's most Western town? which I thought was weird, but then I looked into it. It's very like aesthetically Western, big, big saloon vibes, big sarsaparilla energy, you know? Anyway, Stephanie Meyer did really well in school. She attended, I think it's Chaparral. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Chaparral High in Scottsdale. And she graduated in 1992 and received a national merit scholarship. Fun fact about Chaparral High, it has a few notable alumni besides Stephanie Meyer. I found this on the Wikipedia page. Nikki and Brie Bella both went to that high school, and so did Busy Phillips. I did not know that Busy Phillips was from Arizona. The more you know. Chaparral High is consistently one of the top-ranking high schools in the country, and in 2014, it even had a record number of National Merit Scholars with 37. Very impressive. If I could go back to high school, I would do a couple things differently. I know that there, are, the majority of people who listen to this podcast are post-high school, but I know that there are bad broads who are either still in high school or even still in middle school. How do I know this? Because I met a couple of them. When, when these girls approached me, I was at the new Lonely Ghost store in Provo and this group of girls approached me and I think they said they were 14 or 15 and they said that they listened to the podcast. I could have wept. I could have wept at the thought that these young girls were listening. I felt so honored. I felt so cool. And I also felt a duty to tell them Here's what I would do differently if I were to go back to high school. I'm always just so impressed when people do really well in high school because it's really hard. It's really hard to, I don't even know how to phrase this. It's just hard to stay focused in high school because your, your world is like your friends. Like your world is so small. It's hard to believe that anything could exist outside of 
high school. So you don't really work towards anything. At least this is how I felt. Like I remember people being like, you should work towards getting your associates before you graduate. And I was like, nah, but I just couldn't see a life outside of high school. So here, here's the couple things that I would do. First of all, I would shut the hell up. That's what I would do differently in high school. I would just shut up. I would stop talking about people. I'd stop talking about myself and I would just listen. I would listen in class. I would listen to people who needed help. I would just listen. I would shut my damn mouth. <laughs> the second thing I would do is I would really try hard to get good grades. I wish, I wish I could go back and do high school over and get better grades because you can do it. It's doable, but it's just hard because, you know, high school is, is, is messy and busy and there's all these different things going on. But I wish I had focused on my grades and I wish I had been friends with as many people as possible. I was so focused on like my little group and I wish I hadn't done that. And also I might've done some drugs, not any hard drugs, but you know, I just wish I was just a little, okay. I shouldn't say I wish I would have done drugs. I wish I just would have been a little bit less uptight. I'm not saying I needed to do drugs, but I wish I just would have been a little bit more relaxed about the people I hung around or the things they did, just less judgmental. So there's my, my soapbox of what I wish I could do differently in high school. Just be nicer, get better grades, and just focus on being a good person. I was so obsessed with just being cool, being liked, being social, being cute, like all of that stuff, which was great and fun, but in the long run is not the most important thing. Okay, I'm off my high school soapbox. So after Stephanie Meyer graduated high school, she went to Brigham Young University, BYU in Provo, Utah. I've spent many, many days at BYU. I used to go to like summer camp there, been to football games, basketball games, baseball games. I used to live down there. I lived in BYU housing. I never went to BYU, but BYU is a university owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where almost all of its students are members of the church. Stephanie majored in English literature, and in 1996, between her junior and senior years, she became reacquainted with a childhood friend, Christian Meyer, who everybody called Poncho, and they got married less than a year later when Stephanie was 21. She graduated in 1997. They had their first son. Soon after, she had two more sons, and her life was busy as a stay-at-home mom in Arizona. I guess they moved back because she ended up in Arizona. And that was kind of what she did. She was just busy kind of in the, in the grind of motherhood. And in 2003 is when all of our lives changed, <laughs> most of all Stephanie Myers. She had a dream. And in a CNN article from 2009, Stephanie Meyer said, I had a dream. It was two people in a little circular meadow with a really bright sunlight shining upon them. One of them was a beautiful, sparkly boy, and one was just a girl who was human and normal, and they were having this conversation. The boy was a vampire, which is so bizarre that I had been dreaming about vampires, but he was trying to explain to her how much he cared about her, and yet at the same time, how much he wanted to kill her, Stephanie says. That's how she describes her dream. That actually ended up becoming, I believe, chapter 12, I think it was chapter 13, chapter 13 of Twilight was her original dream. So Stephanie said that she began writing as a creative outlet. She hated the idea of letting this dream just fizzle. She didn't want to forget it. So to break up her days, you know, between kid stuff and being a stay-at-home mom, she just started writing. She completed all, this was wild to me. She completed all 24 chapters in three months. Three months. That seems so fast to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not an author, but that just seems very, very fast to write an entire book. Anyway, she began shopping it to publishers. 14 out of 15 publishers rejected her. She got 14 no's, but on her 15th came the yes. 
and it was from Little Brown and Company, and they offered her $750,000 for a three-book deal. And I'm assuming that those 14 publishers are not happy about passing up on that manuscript. I'm pretty sure Harry Potter had the same thing, like rejected a bunch of times. And um, yeah, I bet they're they're really, really not happy about missing out on those hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that Twilight brought in. So the book was released on October 5th, 2005. And I, a 12-year-old girl at the time, found my newest passion. So I was in eighth grade when I was introduced to Twilight. My brother's girlfriend was reading it and she told me to read it. But here's here's the thing. This... <laughs> Let me tell you guys what happens to me when I read. I'm really worried the whole time that I'm not understanding the story correctly. So when people suggest books to me, this has literally happened to me since I was a kid and I still do it now. When people suggest books to me, I'm so stressed that like I'm not understanding it and I'm getting like a completely different story. Like when I read A Court of Thorns and Roses, I asked Meg, I was like, so Amarantha is like Tamlin's ex-girlfriend, right? And she's like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's not what's going on here. And I was like, wait. So I get really stressed. So I remember reading Twilight and feeling like, okay, there's no way I'm following this story correctly because it's so whack and it's so all over the place. And it truly does feel like a dream. Like it just all these pieces that don't make sense. And then you wake up and you're like, why, why did I put those two things together? So I remember reading it and feeling like, like I wasn't following the story. But then when I would talk to people and eventually when I saw the movie, I was like, yeah, okay. So this is just an insane story. This is just like the most, the most wild disconnected lore that has ever existed. So anyway, the book was iconic, but where things really exploded was in 2008 when the movie finally came out. So let's chat about that. Let's chat about the release of the 2008 cult classic Twilight. The movie stars Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, Peter, I want to say Facinelli, pretty sure. Elizabeth Reeser, Ashley Green, Billy Burke, and Taylor Lautner. Yes, I saw him pronounce his name and it is Lautner. It was in development for three years, which means they sold the rights to it basically right after the book was published. Probably, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know if we used the word viral back then, but it went pretty viral. So I'm sure a studio picked it up right away, which is crazy to go from having a dream having a book published and then selling the rights to a studio in like probably six months. That's nuts. That's nuts. Filming of the movie took 44 days, mostly in Oregon, and it was released November 21st, 2008. It grossed over $407 million world, worldwide with a budget of only $37 million. I know. Whenever people talk movie budgets and they're like, it's, it's low budget, it's $30 million. It's like, okay, what scale are we using? Because that seems like a ton of money. But let me let me put it in perspective for you. It was in the top 10 grossing movies of 2008, and it had the lowest budget by a long shot. So eight of the 10 movies on that list had a budget of over $100 million. And Twilight still, to this day, remains one of the top grossing live-action woman-centric movies that was also directed by a woman. We love to see it. Studios didn't believe in it because they thought it would have, have little commercial success, but they failed to realize, and this is what I believe, teenage girls run the economy. <laughs> like, if you can get teenage girls on board, you're going to make money. I saw an interview with Kristen Stewart just a few, a few weeks ago, and they said, 
Twilight is technically like an indie movie. And she's like, yeah, it is. Like they had such a low budget. Nobody believed in it. Nobody thought it was going to do well. And uh, yeah, it did. It did. It did well. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Way. I think we don't realize how hard we are on our scalps. We wear tight ponytails, we pull it, we detangle it, we add product to it. Did you know that the way to healthy hair starts with a healthy scalp? I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of its origin story. A little care goes a long way for healthier looking hair. Way's scalp serum balances, hydrates, and soothes irritation, creating an ideal environment for hair to thrive. You can drop this skincare-inspired serum on your scalp daily and leave it in, morning or night, wet or dry hair. I love the scalp serum, and I especially love it after I use the Way Detox Shampoo because I feel like it's all clean, and then I use the scalp serum, and I don't know, but in my mind, it's just, it's getting a deeper penetration, if you will, because I just detoxed. Way's scalp serum helps support the appearance of thicker, healthier hair. It balances and hydrates the scalp, which is creating an environment for hair to thrive. And it also soothes irritation from, you know, tight hairstyles and excessive hair detangling. You can use it in tandem with Way's thick and full supplements and get a complete hair health regimen going. The serum has a ton of amazing ingredients like Arctic roots, Siberian ginseng, hyaluronic acid, red clover flower extract, and it's completely gluten-free, cruelty-free, and vegan. It's also safe for color-treated and chemical-treated hair. So the way to healthy hair starts with the scalp. Shop Way's all-new scalp serum by going to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use the code BAD to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire purchase at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com code BAD. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Seed. Turns out everything I thought I knew about probiotics is not, not that correct. I thought that I was getting everything I needed from like soda and chips. <laughs> but it turns out even if they say probiotic on them, not all probiotics are created equal. Good news, Seed's DS1 Daily Symbiotic is the real deal. It's a broad-spectrum two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic. It's 24-strain, and it's formulated for digestive gut immune and additional systemic benefits. Also, they have the capsule in capsule, which protects against stomach acid, digestion enzymes, and bile salts. What does this mean for you? It means that the live probiotics will actually make it to the end of the road, which is the small intestine, and delivers it right into the colon. If you've ever taken a probiotic before and never felt a difference, it's probably because it wasn't surviving your GI tract. Seed is designed differently, and that's why it works. It also supports benefits in and beyond the gut. So yes, Seed will support the ease of bloating and healthy regularity and ease of evacuation, but it will also support your gut barrier, your skin health and your heart health and micronutrient synthesis. Many see improvements in digestion within 24 to 48 hours, which can include bowel movement regularity and ease of bloating. We don't need to be weird when we talk about this, okay? It's something quite literally everybody does. And most of us need a little assistance. <laughs> Each component of their refill system is designed to protect your DS1 daily symbiotic and be gentler on the earth. So it's sustainable and it's delivered to you monthly. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com bad and use the code bad to redeem 20% off of your first month of Seed's DS1 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com bad and use the code bad 
for 20% off of your first month. Hi guys, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian, parent educator, and mom. And this is the Meaningful Living Podcast, here to make parenthood and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. We bring on all our favorite experts and friends and answer all your questions. And ours. To break it all down into the simple and reliable tools, tricks, and answers. We get into the real side of it, parenthood, relationships, you name it. So join us every Monday at Meaningful Living, that's meaningful with two L's, for conversations that will leave you feeling way more confident. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. So let me tell you my personal experience about watching Twilight in theaters because it was spiritual, it was life-changing, it was transcendent. And I know the majority of you guys also had this sacred experience, but it truly was the event of my, of my, I mean, let's see, what year did, what year did it come out? 2008. So that had to be my, that was my sophomore year. It was my sophomore year. And like our parents had Woodstock, but we had the midnight premiere of Twilight. Okay. That's how important it was. So one of my best friends, her name's Tristan, shout out to Tristan and also shout out to your mom, Lisa, because Lisa bought our whole group of friends tickets to the midnight movie of Twilight. It was at the Jordan Commons movie theater. And we spent the night before making t-shirts. I went team Jacob. I'll get into that in a moment. But then we all went to the movie and then we had a sleepover after and nothing will ever compare to the feeling at the movie theater for a midnight movie. Like we had to get there early. You had to get in line. There were no assigned seats. So there was always stuff going on at the movie theater. Like I remember like there's people in costumes and you take pictures with them. They have like drawings and raffles and all of these things because they wanted to keep people entertained at the movie theater while they're waiting in line. Like I remember getting in line for the last Harry Potter movie at like, oh my gosh, probably like 10 a.m. And we just sat there and we would we would play games and we would switch, you know, people would switch out and go get lunch and then I'd wait. And, you know, it was a whole thing. And Fandoms in the 2000s were so much more dedicated. Okay. I'm sorry, Marvel fans, but I am right about this. Okay. You get 30 movies a year and assigned seating at like 7 p.m. Okay. It's not the same dedication that we felt towards Twilight or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. I was a little young for Lord of the Rings, but you just, you don't get it. So that first experience, I wish I could go back and watch the movie for the first time because in my mind, it was an Oscar winner. And I kind of went through, I think we all went through this phase of Twilight. Like, like we all really liked it. And then in the years following, we like kind of got like averse to it. Like we thought it was lame or cheesy or stupid or all these things. Anyway, I have horseshoed all the way back around. And I now see Twilight as like, I mean, especially after doing all this research, I literally think it is like high art. Like I think it is so cool and camp and I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. When we when I watched it, yeah, like a couple of days ago with my family, my niece who's like 10, she's like, I am confused. I'm like, you will appreciate this art. Okay, just give it a few years and this will be this will be like high taste. Okay. So since I can't relive my first experience um watching Twilight, I can give you guys all of the thoughts that I had this last week while I watched it. And yeah, a lot of them are not great because while I love Twilight and I believe it is one of the most iconic movies of my lifetime, it's also really dumb. And there's a lot of lines and dialogue and shots and scenes that I just cannot get behind. 
and I love to talk about them. So first up, something that we're going to be touching on a lot as we discuss the movie and parts of the book is that this is just, there's so many religious undertones. And if you don't believe me, first of all, the cover of the book is two hands holding an apple. Um, I thought when I saw it, I was like, okay, so maybe maybe it's a forbidden fruit thing. Maybe that's what she's going for. But then my suspicions were confirmed when the first line, the first page before the prologue of the book, it's Genesis 2.17, which reads, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's what she put right before the prologue. So if, if there was any question that this is a highly, um, rel- I don't want to say religious, highly religious text. This is scripture. No, I'm joking, but there's just so much religious symbolism and things like that. And also we're going to talk about purity culture. Oh, we're going to get into it because I think that Twilight is why I am not well. So the movie opens with the same line as the opening line of the prologue, which is, I've never given much thought to how I would die. It's Bella. Then we pan over and we see Bella holding a cactus because she lives in Arizona and that's all people in Arizona do is hold cacti. She's moving, you know, she's leaving her mom and her mom's boyfriend or husband or something, and she's moving back in with her dad. Then we meet Charlie. Charlie Swan is just now getting the justice he deserves. I hope Gabby McKeon is listening to this, okay? If you know Gabby McKeon, please send her this part of the podcast, because I don't know anybody who's hornier for Charlie Swan, and she has really led the charge, for me anyway, on how great he is, and also that he's pretty hot. He's pretty hot. So if I could go back and rearrange the t-shirt that I made, I would make a Team Charlie, <laughs> Team Charlie t-shirt. But let's talk about the house that Bella moves into with her dad. Did you guys know that you can Airbnb that house? It's called the Twilight Swan House. It's in St. Helens, Oregon. It's like $300 a night. However, it is booked until about 2024. Like when I found out that you could Airbnb it, I was like, I'm getting this. We're doing a bad broadcast Twilight-centric retreat. And yeah, it's booked for the foreseeable future. So if if you if you happen to have booked it or you've stayed there or you've seen it, let me know. Let me know how it went. Um, I'm still hoping that I can do that. So anyway, Bella moves in with her dad and then we meet the first of many bad wigs. And I get it. It's low budget, but come on. I've seen wig installations on TikTok that look better than this. And the first bad wig we see is Jacob Black and his dad. Jacob's hot, though. I won't lie. Jacob was hot from start to finish. I I love a short hair, jort wearing, soaking wet, running through the woods, Jacob. Um, but I still think he's a very, very handsome guy. I think Taylor Lautner is pretty hot. So anyway, this is when Bella starts to exhibit characteristics of what we would maybe call a pick-me girl. I don't really like the title of pick-me girl. And the reason I call her that is because I see, now that I'm watching this in my late 20s, all of these things that Bella Swan does that I tried to copy. And number one is in this opening scene where she says that her dream car is a truck. Like that's something that I would have said in high school to like make guys think I was cool or like hot or tomboy or something. Like I would have said, I love trucks. Now, I would not say that. I won't get into it, but uh, I would never want a truck. (laughs) So Bella takes her, you know, cool cool truck to school and it's her first day and Stephanie Meyer really sums up every 15-year-old girl's fantasy throughout this whole book. It's kind of like fanfic. To me, Twilight is fanfic for what a shy, awkward, 
like highly religious teen girl would want her life to be like. You know, that's that's how I would summarize Twilight. So we meet the first of her group of friends, which is Eric, who says she's going to be the front page of the news story. Like, that does not happen. I'm sorry. I know this is fantasy, but let's just let's not pretend that when you first go to a new school, every popular kid really, really, really loves you and wants to date you and also wants to put you in the paper like that. I mean, come on. I'm just trying to be realistic. And I think one of the reasons I really don't like the character of Bella Swan is that she's so pandering. It's such a pandering female character. Like she's just the early 2000s male fantasy to a T. Like she's sweet and innocent and everybody loves her and she's so gorgeous, but she's also deep and intellectual. Can you believe it? Can you believe that somebody is pretty and smart? Oh my gosh, it's so unique. And also bonus, she's really quiet. She never interrupts. She's just quiet. It's like, that feels pandering to me. So um, we're getting to know Bella in her, in her new school. We meet Anna Kendrick, of course. She makes an appearance. According to her IMDb, this was the fifth role that she was ever cast in. And I don't think she made it into like mainstream popularity until a few years later. She was cast in Up in the Air with George Clooney. And I, I don't think she got an Oscar nomination, but I'm pretty sure that movie did. I'm actually going to fact check myself because I've got a Google machine right here. Let's look up Anna Kendrick Oscar. Oh, yeah, she was nominated. Oh, yeah. She didn't win, but she did get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Wow, that's amazing. I did not know that she had been nominated for an Oscar. Good for you. Go, go, Anna. So we're at lunch on Bella's first day of school and enter stage left, the Cullens. Fun fact, Robert Pattinson's actual sister sings vocals on the song that is playing while he, while he walks in. It's part of the movie's score, but it's called Who Are They? And there's a female vocalist and it's our Pat's sister. So the story of the Collins, we learn, is that they're all foster kids of Dr. Cullen. I want you to play this out with me. Say you went to a new high school and you met five classmates who were all foster kids to the same parents, and they were all the same age, and four of the five are dating each other. I feel like somebody would, would maybe call child services. I mean, they're technically, I mean, they're quote-unquote minors. I guess, because they're in high school. I feel like somebody would call, would call a, a social service situation. First, we meet Emma and Rosalie, who, yes, does, Rosalie does have the worst wig in the franchise, and it somehow gets worse as the movies go on. Whatever. And then we also meet Emmett, who looks like Bowser, and they're all wearing white. All of them. Every, all of the vampires are wearing white, which feels like they're, it, they're maybe members of a cult or about to take family photos on the beach. But those two things maybe are more similar than we think. Who knows? So Rosalie is like hot, curvy, blonde vampire bitch. Emmett is like bro city gym guy. That's, I guess, the identity that they're choosing after being on the earth for a hundred years. They're like, you know, what's a great aesthetic? Gym bro. Next, we meet Alice and Jasper. Jasper looks like he's been dead and underwater for like three days. And Alice is his girlfriend with spiky hair. And then we meet Edward. And when I tell you the feeling that came over me when I first saw Edward Cullen on the big screen when I was 15 years old, I suddenly understood my sexuality. And I mean that in the, I know we all talk about sexual awakenings and all of that. This was my number one. I thought, okay, I'm straight. Okay, this is the moment that I know. What's annoying is that our Pat is actually 
to me, I think he's very hot. I think that like Robert Pattinson now, I think he's super, super hot. But as Edward, he looks not right. There's something not right about the makeup they did, the hair. There's something just just slightly off. I feel like they are the Vegas version of vampires. And here's what I mean by that. You know, when you go to Vegas and everything is just a little bit skewed, everything is just like a little bit off. Like the Eiffel Tower is just like a little bit wonky. And like the Elvis impersonator is just like a little bit off. All the food is just like slightly left of scent. Like it's all just off. That's how I feel about Vegas. And that's kind of what I see the Collins as, the Vegas version of what I thought they would look like in the book. Because in the book, they describe them as like the hottest people that have ever lived. Truly. Like you really do believe that like this is the hottest man that's ever existed. And then they walk in and they just, they all look like they've had tuberculosis for like months. So we're here. We've we've met the Cullens. We know that they're this weird, mysterious family that everybody knows about, but nobody's like asking questions about why they do so many weird things like date their foster siblings. But then Edward and Bella meet and get this. This is just the perfect, the, the perfect opening to what I believe is a highly abusive relationship. Bella walks into biology and Edward is sitting there. He dry heaves at her. He dry heaves. He, he, he looks like he's about to throw up. So obviously this is headed in a really good direction. And yeah, I know, I know why they did this because he's tempted by her blood and he wants to suck her blood or whatever. But like they could have made it look like he was being tempted and not just made it look like he was ill at the sight of her face. So let's chat religious symbolism starting here. Edward is a vampire. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Edward's a vampire and he's tempted by the smell of humans because vampires crave humans, but he only eats animals because he doesn't want to be a monster. But Bella's blood is particularly tempting to him because he's in love with her and blah, 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 blah. Hello, metaphor for sexual purity. Like, I'm just, I'm too tempted. I'm, I'm extra tempted by you because I'm in love with you. And so much of the language, there's another scene that we'll talk about where the conversation, if you just change like three words, it is actually a conversation between two religious kids about trying to stay pure. Like they use all this vampire language, but it's about boners. Let's be honest. So Edward is tempted by Bella's boobs. I mean blood, tempted by her blood, and he can't stand sitting by her. And something goes off in Bella's head at this point where she's like, you know what? I'm intrigued. I think he likes me. Unfortunately, this is true. And also the reason we all chased men who hated us from ages 16 to 19. So Bella's in her room talking to her mom on the phone and her mom is. So after her first day of school, Bella is in her room. She's talking to her mom on the phone and her mom, Renee, is like, yeah, so if spring training goes well, we could be moving to Florida. And when I watched this a few nights ago with my family, I made them watch it. And a very good point was raised. Why is there so much baseball in this movie? Just wait. I'll point it out every time, but there's so much baseball. And yeah, Phil is Bella's stepdad who plays minor league baseball. Also, Bella's mom is 37 and Phil is 29. At least that's what twilightsaga.fandom.com says. So good for her. I love an older woman with a younger man. So the next scene is uh, they're back at school and we see Emmett. Emmett riding in the Jeep, standing up. And nobody talks about this scene enough. It is so jarring. Every time he kind of, looks like Bowser to me. He looks like a, a pasty, soggy Bowser. 
And he stands up in all of the cars and he rides them like a skateboard. It is so confusing to me. The stylistic choices made throughout this movie are really, they're something that I love and also hate. (laughs) But for some reason, the whole movie is made with like the lo-fi Instagram filter. It is so blue. Every shot is just blue. It's all the weirdest teal, like filtered color. Anyway, so Bella and Edward finally reunite in biology class and Edward asks Bella if she likes the rain. And there's a handful of lines in this movie that give me hemorrhoids, but this is one of them. Bella says, I don't like the rain, any cold, wet thing. Like why that, why that specificity? Why would you go there? If somebody says, do you like the rain? You don't say anything cold or wet. I just, I don't like. It's such a weird response. But remember, she's deep and intellectual and so unique. So then Edward asks her why she moved there. if She hates the rain. And I mean, she's 15, so she probably didn't have a choice, Edward. She didn't just pack up and move on her own. So after this 45-minute class, I guess, Edward is now fully in love with her, okay? And the next shot, we see Bella standing in the parking lot, and she's, like, looking over at Edward, and he's standing across the parking lot, like, next to his car. And boom, a van is, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, skidding, skidding towards her, and it's about to crunch Bella. But Edward is suddenly there to Heisman the car away. And he saves her life. Here's the best slash worst part. He fully gaslights her over it. And I'm not saying that in like a hyperbolic way. I'm not saying it because it's like a therapy term and like gaslight girl boss gatekeep. Like he full on invents gaslighting here. And I'm actually going to read the whole excerpt from the book because it's too, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And uh, they shorten it a lot in the movie, although it's still bad. It's still bad in the movie. But here's the, here's the interaction between Bella and Edward after he transports over her, stops a moving van with his arm, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, his, his unfriendliness intimidated me. My words came out with less severity than I intended. You owe me an explanation, I reminded him. I saved your life. I don't owe you anything. I flinched back from the resentment in his voice. You promised. Bella, you hit your head. You don't know what you're talking about. His tone was cutting. My temper flared now, and I glared defiantly at him. There's nothing wrong with my head. He glared back. What do you want from me, Bella? I want to know the truth, I said. I want to know why I'm lying for you. What do you think happened? He snapped. It came out in a rush. All I know is that you weren't anywhere near me. Tyler didn't see you either, so don't tell me I hit my head too hard. That band was going to crush us both, and it didn't. I know your hands left dents in the side of it, and you left a dent in the other car, and you're not hurt at all, and the van should have smashed my legs, but you were holding it up. I could hear how crazy it sounded, and I couldn't continue. I was so mad that I could feel the tears coming. I tried to force them back by grinding my teeth together. He was staring at me incredulously, but his face was tense and defensive. You think I lifted a van off of you? His tone questioned my sanity, but it only made me more suspicious. It was like a perfectly delivered line by a skilled actor. I merely nodded once, jaw tight. Nobody will... Uh, this, it just it makes me so mad. Nobody will ever believe that, you know? His voice held an edge of de- derision. Derision now. I'm not going to tell anybody. I said each word slowly, carefully, controlling my anger. Surprise flitted across his face. Then why does it matter? It matters to me, I insisted. I don't like to lie, so there'd better be a good reason why I'm doing it. Can't you just thank me and get over it? Thank you. I waited, fuming and expectant. You're not going to let it go, are you? No. In that case, I hope you enjoy disappointment. Like, you hit your head. No one's going to believe you. This is literally from the dictionary. 
to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. That is literally what he does. And he's supposed to be her dream man. He's actually supposed to be all of our dream man. That's why, that's why our teens were so hard. That, that was why. That was why. Thanks, Stephanie Meyer, for that one. Anyway, the following scenes are just Edward chasing down Bella and saying we shouldn't be friends. And it's the same logic of like, boys are mean to you because they like you. And no, they don't. No, they don't. Please, I really hope that nobody ever believes this anymore. I, I do think it's pretty outdated. I think we're all pretty much over it. But Edward did make us believe that the more mad men get at you, the more you should like them. Like he says things like, if you were smart, you'd stay away from me. What? What? Okay. So anyway, let's talk for a moment about the scene where they go down to the beach called La Push, which is part of the Quileute tribe's reservation, both in Twilight and in real life. The bummer about watching Twilight when you're older is that those rose-colored glasses come all the way off. And this is where I will kind of beef with Stephanie Meyer. The Quileute tribe is real. And obviously, Stephanie Meyer fictionalized a real culture and then made a ton of money off of it. And like, not like little details. Like she took a whole tribe and their spiritual practices and made them like the villain. Anyway, it seems it seems messed up to me. I don't think she consulted them at all. And I am, I mean, according to what I read, they made no money off of it. I'm pretty sure. It feels very weird and very unethical to do that. And yeah, it just, it feels gross to me. So anyway, while Jacob is telling the legend of the tribe to Bella while they're down at La Push, he talks about the tribe and the vampires. And there's this whole montage of them, I guess, like a few decades earlier. And it's the Cullens talking to the tribe. And the Cullens are... I mean, they're doing like the flashback for like back in the day for before when they signed the treaty. And I don't know why, but in this flashback, the costume designers decided to put the Cullens in full Peaky Blinders garb. They look like a gang of newsies. Like they're trying to show that it happened in like, I guess the 20s or 30s. And it's incredible. It's one of my favorite shots from the whole movie. So Bella starts researching this and it feels unbelievable to me that nobody else cracked this code like of what was going on with the colons. She spent like 30 seconds on the internet and she figured it out. But nevertheless, Bella wants to know more. She's she's curious and she wants to go to this bookstore to get this book about, about vampires and werewolves and all of that. And she tags along while her friends go shopping because remember, dumb girls go shopping and only smart girls go to bookstores. That's how we know Bella is not like other girls, okay? That's kind of what I mean, I guess. When I said pick me girl earlier, I guess I'm more mean. I guess I guess they they have overlap in their definitions, but she's like a not like other girls girl. Like I don't really have girlfriends. Like that's that's kind of Bella to me. So on the way home from the bookstore, Bella gets cornered by like six guys, which is actually terrifying. Very realistic fear of many, many women. But boom, what else comes drifting in? But Edward and his Honda Civic, just kidding. I do think it's a Volvo. That's what the book says. But did they have to make it a hatchback? Like they give him the lamest car. He literally spin moves into the parking lot, forces Bella into the car to protect her. And then get this abuse tactic. Okay, this is where it gets especially egregious to me. Takes her to dinner and doesn't eat. He doesn't eat. He makes her eat in front of him. I have, and I know I'm not unique in this. But I do have several requirements for people that I spend my time with. And I just don't find it fun to go to dinner with somebody who doesn't get food. I think that sharing meals with people is like 
is so wonderful and spiritual. And I think that we should all be doing it more. And like many of you, nothing bugs me more than when somebody says, well, I don't want to eat, but I'll go with you. No, no. If you're not eating, I will eat. I will go alone and I will eat in my car. I would rather do that than sit next to somebody who's not eating. Anyway, Edward does that to her. And that's where we should have known. That's where we should have known that he was thumbs down. But then he tells her that he could read minds and she asks no questions. None. She's like, okay. Yeah. And he says, oh, wait, except not yours. And she's like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Like if somebody came up to me and they said, I can read minds except yours, I'd say, okay, you can't read minds. You're just, you're guessing. You're guessing at everybody's. Because if you tell me what they're thinking, how am I going to verify that? Anyway, the next day at school, she wanders into the forest as one does and she finally confronts him. And that's when we get the best scene. Well, I would say this is the second best scene for me in the movie. Um, The, you know, say it out loud, vampire, that scene. My personal favorite scene is the baseball scene, but we'll get into that later. So they elliptical up the mountain in record time. And Edward then reveals to her that he's actually made of diamonds. And the reason vampires can't be in the sunlight is because it's too obvious that they're made of diamonds. So at this point, it absolutely checks out that this was devised from a dream. In Inception, they talk about this, about how dreams never seem strange when you're in it. It's only when you wake up. That's Twilight. That's Twilight for you. But here's the scene that I was talking about earlier about about heavy purity culture themes. And let me read the dialogue. It doesn't go like this in the book. So it's much more concise in the movie dialogue. So I'm going to read the movie dialogue to you. So Edward says, I'm the most dangerous predator. Everything about me invites you in. My voice, my face, even my smell. As if I need any of that. As if you could outrun me. As if you could fight me off. And he rips a tree out of the ground and throws it. I'm designed to kill. Bella says, I don't care. I've killed people before. It doesn't matter. I wanted to kill you. I've never wanted a human's blood so much in my life. I trust you. Edward says, don't. Bella says, I'm here. I trust you. You're sent. It's like a drug to me. You're like my own personal brand of heroin. Bella said, why did you hate me when we first met? Edward says, only for making me want you so badly. I still can't control myself. Okay, tell me this is not a fictionalization. And I'm sorry if this is niche, but you know it's true. You know, if you know, you know that two like highly religious kids would be talking about in regards to sexual purity. So I'm going to change a few of the words because this is basically how it reads to me. Edward says, I'm the world's most dangerous predator. I'm not pure enough for you. I'm too horny. Bella says, I don't care. Edward, I've had sex with people before. Bella, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I feel like I wrote fanfic. I feel like this should be on Wattpad. Bella, it doesn't matter. Edward, I wanted to have sex with you. I've never wanted to with someone so bad. (laughs) Bella says, I trust you. Edward says, don't. I'm here. I trust you. Edward, you're sent. It's like a drug to me. Bella, why did you hate me when we first met? Edward, only for making me want you so badly. I still can't control myself. Like, we have this bloodthirsty sinner and this sweet little pure girly helping him stay on the straight and narrow, even though he's so tempted, but it's just who he is. And bloodthirsty men can't control themselves. What are you talking about? Then Edward says, when we taste human blood, a frenzy begins and it's impossible to stop. Mm, 
sounds like an explanation of hormones. That sounds like the exact excuse that we give men. Well, when they're horny, they can't stop. What do you expect them to do? What do you expect them to do when you get them aroused? When you show up and you're just there looking all feminine and sexual, do you think the guy should just not think that way? Yeah, that's basically, that's, that's what I get from this. Anyway, let's take a left turn and get into the lore of Twilight vampires. I think this is important. So basically, Carlisle is this eternal vampire doctor, and he has saved a handful of people. Not sure how he chose who to save, but apparently he's only saved these five people. He basically, when people are on their deathbed, he bites them and just puts a little bit of venom in them so that they also become vampires. If you put too much venom, they die. So it's like very hard because they have to resist. And they, if they bite, it's just the frenzy begins. So if you just put a little bit of venom in them, they become a vampire. And listen, I'm not against living or saving lives. I don't, I don't wish that I was not alive. But dooming someone to be alive forever just to be a vampire, that seems so much worse than just letting somebody die. Edward's whole backstory is that he was sick with the the Spanish flu and and Carlisle saves him. Like that that is not a good life. That is not a good life. It's really not. So yeah, along with being vampires, they also all have different gifts. Like Edward can read minds. Alice can see the future, except the way they describe it. They say, Alice can see the future, but the future is subjective. It can always change. Okay. So Alice can't see the future. She just can think of things. And if they don't happen, it's not that weird. But if they do happen, she's psychic. They got a lot of loopholes with these gifts, if you know what I mean. So then Edward drops her off after telling her all this weird lore about his family. And then Jacob and Billy, his dad, come over to watch the Mariners game because Stephanie Meyer is obsessed with baseball. I can't explain it. I don't know why, but she loves baseball. Just a little tidbit there. The next scene is when Bella goes to the Collins and she meets all them and she sees his room and everything. And this is where she sees the wall of graduation caps. Because if you're eternally doomed to live on earth, then why wouldn't you date teenage girls and go to high school over and over again? If your life goal is to learn nothing and date underage women, high school is the place for you. And it's exactly where Edward wants to be, which is alarming because Edward's technically like a hundred. And I don't feel like we linger on this quite enough because He's, a, he's over 100 years old, right? And he's in the body of a 17-year-old and he's dating another 17-year-old. Why do we write this off as not predatory? Play this out with me, okay? A 90-year-old man tries to get with a 14-year-old girl. If he looked really young, you would never say, you know what, but he looks young. So there's really no need for us to freak out over this because whichever way you slice it, he's 90. Whether he looks 20 or looks 50 or looks 90, he's still 90 and he still has no business being with somebody who's underage. So I don't mean to get all PC about this, but it just feels like that's an obvious one, that it is highly inappropriate for him to be dating a 17-year-old. So anyway, his explanation is that they move all around and the younger they start, the longer they can stay somewhere. So they start in high school and they move once it gets weird that they're not aging. So I would estimate that they stay in each place for like eight years, assuming that they do high school and college and then move. 
that's just a total assumption. I don't know if it goes over that in like the book or anything, but if you start as like a freshman and then you do your sophomore, junior, senior year, and then you can probably go to like a local college. But then anytime after that, it gets a little bit weird that you're still there and you still look the same. Like eight years is a is a generous amount for when people should start looking different than they did as a 17-year-old. So I did the math, you guys. I did the math for us. I crunched some numbers and Edward was turned into a vampire in 1920. So if he started high school then and he went eight years before moving to a new place and starting high school again, this means that he would have gone to high school 10.6 times before 2005. Let's just say this is his 11th round. This is his 11th round of high school, okay? But the graduation cap wall has four rows of 23 caps, which is 92. And yes, there's other siblings, but Carlisle and Esme don't have them because they aren't repeating high school because they look 40. And the other four siblings came along after Edward. So the most they would have done high school is like six times. And that's only 24 graduation caps. And there's almost 100. There's almost 100 graduation caps. So unrealistic. It's the only part of the story I don't believe. <laughs> this is the only part of the lore that I have beef with. No, but I just, I, I wanted to point that out. I don't know why. It started bugging me. I really did not like it. I did not like that I looked at that wall and there was 100 graduation caps. And they're trying to make me believe that they've done high school 100 times. No. Absolutely not. There's also the fact that Bella turns on Edward's music and it's Claire de Lune. Like, bro, you were a teenager in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you don't have better taste in music? Woof. Like, you could have seen the Beatles live. You could have seen David Bowie live. You could have seen Prince live. I guess a lot of us have maybe seen Prince live. And maybe David Bowie. But, like, you lived through the prime time of music. And you listened to... Debussy, Debussy, Debussy. I don't know how it is. Debussy. I don't know if I said that right. Anyway, did you guys know that Stephanie Meyer has a cameo in the next scene? It's at, I'll tell you where it is. It's an hour and 12 minutes in. We'll get a shot of her. She's sitting at like the diner. We get another shot of Phil at batting practice because this movie is a sports movie. It is a baseball movie. And in the blink of an eye, Edward is now in Bella's room. In that Airbnb I told you guys about, they literally have a cardboard cutout of Edward that watches you sleep. But we learned that Edward um, has been watching her sleep for several months, which is not weird at all. And then their first kiss happens. And Bella is suddenly in her undies. And Edward has to throw himself off of her because it's too dangerous for them. And they almost laid down, which makes it way too hard to resist having sex. I mean, turning her into a vampire. That's what they're trying to resist. Silly me. So Edward comes back later that day after they, you know, they didn't take it too far. And he's going to take her to play baseball. And my brother brought up a good point. And I mean, obviously, this plot is ironclad with absolutely no holes. But why do they play baseball? Why, why do they pick baseball? I'm telling you, it's because Stephanie Meyer is obsessed with baseball. And I was like, well, they play because when there's a thunderstorm, they run into each other and their diamond bodies hit each other. And when there's thunder, the noise doesn't raise any concern. And my brother Tyson was like, yeah, but why do they have to do it at all? Why do they have to play baseball? at all. Can somebody explain that to me? It certainly can't be because it's the only game they all know how to play. It can't even be their favorite. Like there's got to be so many more activities that eternal vampires want to play other than baseball. But this is a baseball movie. Okay. Anyway, I don't care because the baseball scene in Twilight is my religion. It really is. And if you can't appreciate the art that is this five minute sequence, I don't trust you or your taste. Okay. It's perfectly camp. 
Unfortunately, baseball is cut short because three other vampires show up and find Bella and they want to suck her blood. And so they devise this whole plan to take her back to Arizona and lose the vampire tracker. And they take her to this La Quinta in Scottsdale where Alice sees the future. Maybe we're not totally sure, but she sees this dance studio. Sorry, this part is like boring to me. This is like where it's the movie is almost over at this point and I'm just kind of over it. Um, so Bella makes her way there because she thinks her mom is there. Boom. Bad vampire attacks. Edward shows up, saves her, takes her to prom because nothing else matters than going to prom except being the coolest bitch on the planet and wearing Converse to prom. That's the most important thing. That's the moral of the story, which is what Bella does. Not only is Bella so cool because she wears Converse, she is ultimate cool girl because Bella wants to be a vampire now. She's 15. She's had a boyfriend for about three weeks and now wants to be eternally and immortally bound to him through her blood. And she'll never eat again or sleep again or be fully happy. But hey, you will have a scary predator boyfriend by your side. And that's what she desires most. And the movie's over. And I mean, but really, it's just beginning because I think we have four more movies after this. I don't know if I can deep dive every single one. I mean, maybe I'll do one a year. Maybe next August, I will do a new moon deep dive. Uh, But man, it takes it out of you. It takes it out of you to get this deep into something. And yeah, like I said at the beginning, I love Twilight because it shaped me. Um, And I hate Twilight because it shaped me. And it made me really obsessed with purity culture. It just reinforced a lot of, I think, the negative feelings that I had towards, towards myself and my body and being pure and all of that. And Twilight really just got its claws in me and verified that all of that was true. So yeah, I don't think that it's good for young girls to, to watch or read this, but I am, I do like this, um, this kind of twilight renaissance going on right now that we're all appreciating that it is just kind of, it's, it's like, I would compare it to, oh man, I'm trying to think of like a problematic movie that I still like because it's, because it's like funny and, and, and weird. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of how I feel. I don't know if any of you guys watch The Tenth Kingdom. The Tenth Kingdom is, it's like nine, it's a TV show, I think. I think it's nine episodes, but it's like super problematic and very weird and sexual, but it's just from my childhood, so I love it. And that's how I feel about Twilight. I mean, Stephanie Meyer, I mean, she's worth over $100 million. I mean, she's doing just fine. And yeah, I wish she would have been a little bit more careful about what she put into the brains of teenage girls, but it is what it is. And all we can do is just keep talking about it and really hope that none of you actually believe that men being mad at you and dry heaving at your face is an expression of love. That's all I have to say. Team Charlie forever. I hope you guys enjoyed this rundown, this deep dive, this this unfiltered stream of consciousness about everything I've thought about Twilight. I love you guys. I loved this episode. I don't know how this will be taken. I don't know if you guys will be into this, but I had fun doing it. So I will see you guys next Monday for a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. We have a guest next week. You guys are all very excited about this person. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review. That helps the podcast so much. Helps us get on charts. Helps other people find the podcast. Helps me know what you're liking about it. And I will see you guys next week. Remember to always be safe, be kind, and be hot. I love you so much. See you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.